This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This is Rogue. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. Welcome back to Rogue. And as I always ask my guest, who are you and what is your superpower? Hi, I'm Josh Burnoff, and my superpower is the power of effective storytelling, convincing people of things by using the power of narrative. All right, then. Uh, glad to have you back, Josh. We spoke on Shareable not too long ago. You have uh, your book coming out, Build a Better Business Book, and um, it makes perfect sense why we would talk about this. But I have to ask you the uh, kind of follow-up question about the superpower, which is how does this make the world a better place? How are you helping to change the world and empower superheroes with this power? Well, it makes the world a better place because the people who are right, people that is who have great ideas about how to change the world, need to be able to convince everybody else. And I don't care how many statistics you've got or how strong your arguments are, the power of telling a story about how somebody succeeded using what you've thought of is so much more effective. So it makes the world a better place because it's what allows people with good ideas to tell the stories that convince others. I love it. And I'm uh, I'm a big believer in it. Uh, I'm a buyer of the theory of uh, importance of narratives. There's mm -hmm. the whole uh, to sell as human Daniel Pink side of things. There's our uh, mutual friend, uh, Tamsin Webster, with uh, Finding Your Red Thread. Mm -hmm. Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand. There's so many different people out there that are, are um, amplifying and pointing to the fact that narratives are so important. So I'm excited to break this superpower down with you today. Uh, I got to ask you where the power came from, though. So there's a lot of different types of superheroes out there. There's the born on Krypton and you have it baked into your cells a la Superman. There's something happens to you, some sort of an event. You get bitten by a radioactive spider. You have some sort of a mutation like an X-Men and something opens up this new ability for you. And then there's the Batman style of thing where you train and you become the best at this. How did you develop the idea or, or the ability that is uh, to tell effective narratives? Well, I think it's more of a Batman kind of a thing. Because everyone tells stories. We all learn about stories when we're kids and we all tell stories. But the idea of connecting those stories and using them to get a point across, that's something that takes practice. It's the kind of practice that people get when they're giving speeches. And it's the kind of practice that they get when they're writing. And until you develop the hang of collecting these stories, understanding their power, and learning how to tell them in a brief and succinct way and then connect it to an idea you're just sort of making stuff up so it's about training yourself to use stories in an effective way in batman's story he began the training because of traumatic event so a lot of the times our superpowers are unlocked through something happening to us so why did you even go down this path of learning this ability um did you kind of fall backwards into it or did you make a conscious choice at some point i gotta tell better stories people are bored well, there actually is an event if you think about it. And that event is what happened. Uh, I really passionately wanted to write a book and I wrote a book proposal and sent it to uh, the agent that my company had been working with. And he said, I can't sell this. I said, why do you mean you can't sell this? He said, listen, business books are made out of people and stories and there's no people in this and there are no stories in here because it had been written like a research report. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And from that point forward, I realized that I was going to have to be telling stories, was going to have to be interviewing people. And that was sort of the beginning of where my training happened. Did you train like a researcher to learn how to tell stories? 
Like, is it cyclical and meta like that, where like essentially you submit a, a book proposal that has uh, data and research and no people and stories, and they come back and say, you need people and stories. So you're like, okay, well, what what's my process? What's my research? What data do we need to gather to become a better? How'd you approach learning the skill? Um, I, I just basically stopped denying the human side of myself. <laughs> so, so I was trained as a mathematician. I'm a very analytical thinker. I know how to, how to make a logical argument. That's, uh, that's, uh, you know, framed in an ironclad way, but I thought, you know, I tell stories sometimes I know how this works. And I just started to realize that this was an important element of ammunition that I needed to collect. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's just becoming aware of that latent ability that everybody has. That's what happened to me. And now I find myself doing the same thing when I work with authors, I'm like, okay, you, you need to collect some more stories here or you won't be believable. I love it. Well, I am uh, I'm interested in learning this ability that you have. And as you know, the the purpose of Rogue is I like to bring people on who have a super ability. And then I want to, through the power of conversation, understand how it works, understand the frameworks that exist behind it, the thinking that sort of puts everything into action. So I'm curious if you could kind of at the start give us just a high level idea of what you mean by what does an effective story even look like? And then how does one go about the process of learning to do this sort of thing better? Is it just hey, read Joseph Campbell's, uh, you know, hero's journey theory over and over and over until it solidifies. But uh, what's your method? What's your thinking about it? What's the high level? So the first thing isn't about telling stories. It's about collecting stories. So you sort of have to have a switch in your brain that says, oh, that sounded interesting that I just learned about this. I just talked to a client. Some, they had something interesting happen. Or I just read about something in the in the paper. Or a friend of mine told me about this. You have to be conscious about collecting them. And then in terms of telling the stories, there's a very effective and succinct way to tell a case study story, which is there's this person, they had this problem, they tried this, it didn't work, they tried that, and it wasn't so so good. And then they hit on what the solution was, and this is how it succeeded, and then uh, this is what you can learn from it. And What's important is what is not in there. We don't care that they had penetrating blue eyes. You know, we don't care that they grew up in a family with six brothers and sisters. Um, sometimes it's relevant, something in their background that connects to the story, but you really have to slim it down to just the minimal stuff. And what I found, especially in books, is that once you tell that story, people will always read to the end. And then whatever you say afterwards, they will believe it. But it has to be that direct line. This happened. They solved the problem this way. Therefore, this is the right way to do things. People are like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Whatever you say. So to clarify, just to put this in the context, then what we're talking about in the conversation here around effective narratives is effective narratives for the purpose of making a business case, doing a case study, closing a sale, uh, crafting a marketing narrative. So we're looking generally in the context of objective-driven storytelling rather than, because when you said penetrating blue eyes, my first thought was, mm -hmm. oh, well, there's a lot of fiction storytellers out there who are going to take issue with this, Josh. So uh, to clarify, the context of this is, is if we're going to be using these skills in a professional or in an objective-driven way, the, there are some frameworks that we really need to understand. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I'd call these working stories. Yeah. Right? These are stories that are intended to accomplish a goal. And if what I want to do is sit around with my friends and get everybody laughing, those stories are very different. Yeah. But these working stories that are intended to accomplish a goal, you really have to slim them down to the minimum and you need to learn how to connect them to that goal that you've got. So I am a big fan of frameworks. Uh, in my head, I have hundreds of them. Um, and I just store them as sort of like, well, here's a unique um, here's a unique opportunity to pull this one out, right? Like one that I keep in my head all the time. Uh, Chris Brogan wrote a, a post back in like 2000, I don't know, 2008 or something, 2009, uh, where he wrote, uh, the, the post was called Apologize Immediately. And it was the three A's, acknowledge, apologize, act. And I was like, that's a great framework. It's three A's. I can remember that. I'll use that. It's great for customer service. Amazing. And you just mentioned sort of a case study framework. My question mm -hmm. for you is, um, is there a reason why certain frameworks continue to work over and over? And is there a danger that if everyone starts using the format, that it loses its potency? What's your experience or, or take on that? Well, that's like asking me whether the fact that all romance novels are the same means that nobody's going to want to read romance novels anymore. No, they like the fact that they're the same. And the thing about these kinds of stories is that you have to identify with the protagonist. And I'm I'm saying they they have a protagonist. You need to say, oh, yeah, I understand how that felt for him. I understand the challenge he had. I understand why it was challenging for him. Oh, you know, his management told them they couldn't afford it. Oh, I've been there. So you need to create that connection between the reader and the protagonist. And th that's what makes it effective. And I guess if there's a framework, yeah, they're very similar, but the framework is uh, they had a problem. Here's why they couldn't just solve it the easy way. Here's the insight that they had, and here's the result that they got. And I should say that some, some of these stories are unhappy endings. You know, they tried this, it seemed to work. And then it failed. And here's what you can learn from the reasons that it failed. So mm. they're not all the same, but the ones that fail, again, there has to be a lesson for why they failed. Within those components, do you feel that there's one that um, tends to have more resonance with people or tends to kind of um, is the is the most important one of them? And, and my gut always tells me that the problem, as someone once said, if you can describe someone's problem to them better than they understand it themselves, you have a good chance that they'll buy from you. And I'm curious if that agitation of the problem, the un, the why this isn't working for you, if you feel that's the most important component, or is it that that's the setup for whatever the payoff is? Do, is there a part of the framework that's more important than the others? So they're all essential. It's funny. Sometimes you need to go back and get approval from somebody in a corporation, and they're like, take out the part at the beginning where you said that things were bad. Well, it's not much of a story to say things were good. And then they try this and things were still good after that's not really a story. So, but in fact, the most important element is not the problem. It's the aha. It is the moment at which you realize there's a new way to look at this. There's a different way to see this. You can stop thinking about social media as a problem and start thinking of it as a solution that AI isn't going to take your job. It's going to make your job easier this sort of twist is what makes it interesting and and that's what people remember and then when they go and repeat that story to somebody else they're like oh yeah and then there's this thing that nobody knows about that's the thing that spreads that's the thing that becomes viral is the twist 
I like that a lot. And I'm curious how you mentioned protagonist before. And I think this is um, what occurred to me when you said about the aha is like, that's the part that everyone loves in the, in a presentation and a case study in a book is, is like the unconventional thought, the, I learned something new, mm -hmm. like I'm now in the insiders club sort of thing. Yes. And the problem is the part that gets you to kind of identify why it's an important thing and maybe gets you to kind of see yourself in that problem. But you mentioned the protagonist piece. I've been on some calls in the last several months, even where on the call at the beginning, it seems like the person took the call out of courtesy. And now I've got to be able to turn this thing around or I got to get them engaged in why they're even there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you think that the agitation or the aha, uh, if that can even work, if you don't have a good gripping intro to your story, how important is the beginning of the story in getting them into that, or if you have a good enough problem and you understand your audience well enough, you can kind of not worry so much about hooking them early. Like talk to me about the beginning of it before you lay down the aha. All right. Well, the aha is the payoff, but the beginning is also essential because you need to lead people down the garden path in the wrong direction first. So, so if you're like, okay, you know, the problem was they didn't have enough awareness for their product. Okay. We all are identifying with that. So they decided that what they needed to do was advertise. And you're like, oh yeah, I guess that's the normal thing to do. That's what my boss told me to do. That's what everybody else is doing. So unless you can say, here's the problem and here's the conventional solution, you can't get people headed in a sort of grooving along with you. And you can't take them off of that standard way of doing things until you get, uh, unless you have first gotten them hooked on the sort of the normal challenge and the normal way of solving the problem. So you got to almost make them feel comfortable. Like it's quiet, too quiet. It's like one of those sort of situations yeah. where you get them into it. They're like, well, that all sounds great. What's happening. Then you toss in your, your little bit of a twist of why it didn't work. Now all of a sudden they're there with you trying to figure out the way out. And then you kind of shine the light on the unconventional yeah. solution to lead them out. Right. Because when we tell these stories, the conventional solution in general is getting weaker and weaker. If the conventional solution to uh, getting more done is to hire more people, then you find yourself in a situation where, oh, you know what? I'm hiring more people and it's it's not working. It's taking longer, not shorter to get things done. So that's, I think, a common element in these stories is the idea that the conventional solution is becoming less and less effective. Got it. You started off by saying that this isn't so much about telling stories and it's a lot about collecting stories. So I think there's two elements of this episode that um, I'm getting out of it, which is one is the framework, right? Is the piece of like, there's the case study framework. And I'd, I'd imagine there's probably some others that you might uh, have in your, in your bag of tricks. Um, which I'll leave people to either connect with you or, or read your book about it. Um, so there's sort of like storytelling frameworks, narrative frameworks that you can follow sort of here, the the Mad Lib kind of fill in the blanks step by steps of kind of what the, the sections you got to understand and have. They're sort of par for the course for a, a particular thing. But then the second piece is, well, okay, great. <clears throat> we've got We've got the map now, but we have to fill in the stories. And you said collecting stories rather than telling stories. As someone who... Um, I have trouble on the spot coming up with stories. Like there's some people I know they're great storytellers, really not good at it. And I have a database on my computer for my story bank. 
And it's it's there to collect stories, but I never remember to do it. I'm curious how you recommend someone goes about doing this to be a more effective storyteller as as part of like building a habit. How does one better collect stories? All right. I got to show you something here. Oh, cool. Okay. When I do one of these podcast interviews, I have this thing. It's taped onto my monitor. This is my story list. Oh, <laughs> so wow. When someone when No, I mean, Listeners, what happens, it's, it's, a, it's a long thing. Yes. Well, when I wrote the book, I was like, okay, this is what's gold. And when the, the interviewer asks me about X or Y, I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, let's talk about what happened with Fotinia Economopoulos as she was trying to write her book and stuck in a, in a coffee house. Or, oh, yeah, well, here's what happened when we, we tried to pitch the book by, uh, by the guy who was the head trainer at, at McKinsey or whatever it is. Now, this, this, this is like four years of work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this did not just happen. Now, it happens to all be condensed in my book to, to collect it up now is easy. But what does that take? It means that you always have to have your ear to the ground. And uh, it's especially useful to get the new stories because everyone has heard the story about how uh, the guy's family came back from Amelia Island, Ritz Carlton, and you know his stuff his kid's stuffed giraffe was missing and you know that's or that's like the... oreos dunk in the dark or like oh like you get, yes you know like that's one that's like there or or the uh attention is the shorter than a goldfish like it's like there's certain things and some of them are not even true so like that's no, annoying. it's true but it's but, true so yeah. this is these these become cliches mm -hmm. and you as a, as a success you can have one or two of those but you need original things and this happens because you're out in the world. If you are helping marketers, they all have problems in it. You have to be like, hey, you know, this is very interesting how we solve this. I'd like to to get to know you uh, and maybe tell your story. Um, I'm, I'm working with an author right now. We're having a, a great time. Uh, she uses chat GPT to help her. And she's like, I want to write up how we're working together on this. And I'm like, That'd be really interesting. People would really like to hear about that. And only she and I are the only people who know about this because nobody else has ever heard of it. So th these original things are what matters. And if you've got, if 80 or 90% of your stories nobody's ever heard before, it's so much more effective than if you're like telling the same thing over and over again that everybody has heard about. And, you know, that that they're like, oh yeah, I already know that one. Yeah. I, I'm also thinking uh, that I have a handful of things I got to follow up with you about. We only have so little time together on this one, yeah. but um, I'm thinking one, as you're listening for stories, you're probably listening through the framework. You're listening for stories. You're Absolutely. listening for ahas. You're listening for protagonists. So there's one part, but the other thing that occurred to me is there's got to be, uh, you've mentioned a couple different types of stories very much in passing because yeah. uh, obviously you do this, but um, there's collecting stories from the press. There's collecting stories from your own experience. There's collecting stories from people you've worked with. So are there a series of categories of places? Because when you first said collecting stories, my first thought was, great, now I get to hang out in coffee shops and listen to every table next to me. <laughs> so what are the categories of stories that we're listening for? And are we listening through the frameworks? Okay. So first question is, what are the categories? And you you can collect them from uh, your work, you can collect them from your colleagues, you can correct them, you know, somebody will say, oh, I heard about this. And you're like, oh, let me 
track this person down. Sometimes you read about them in the press. But the key is for anybody who wants to, to be a thought leader, who wants to actually get an idea spread, is that you have that lens. You're like, oh, well, you know, we, we heard the already heard this story about the guy getting dragged off of a plane in United Airlines. But I'm an expert on language. And what interests me about that is how the statement that United Airlines made later was completely in the passive voice showing that they were attempting to evade all responsibility. Was that a story about the passive voice? Now, it wasn't originally, but when I tell it, it's a story about the passive voice. And what that's really what it is, is to take that lens of whatever it is that you think about and say, ah, I have insight into this thing that happened that nobody else has because I know things about the world that nobody else knows. So this story with my lens on it becomes an effective way to, to spread that idea. This is such an interesting point. There's so many things you've dropped in this episode that are really interesting, but the point of taking a cliche story and uncliching it by bringing a completely different angle to it that is your own lens so nobody else could have told it. Telling what happened is boring. Telling how you see that event of what happened and what you understand about that event that everyone knows is actually, I think, a shortcut to getting the attention of like, this is a popular story that we all understand, but providing a new angle on it, that's kind of giving you that aha. So I really, I like that because I'm always reluctant to share like the the case studies that everybody else shares. But I think if you were to share it and take a new angle on it, that's a really smart approach. Um you've you've got you figured it out yep that's well thank exactly you i'm get, I I, uh, mark that down saving that <laughs> putting it in my master notes okay. um oh god that was good i like that one so um the one thing though is uh another time that we were uh talking it was either offline or online i forget mm -hmm. but i was talking about uh the collecting of stories and i was talking about how in my book i was having trouble gathering stories and you did mention that it's probably not a good thing if all of the stories are your own stories of people you've worked with and this and that. So um, expand the lens a little bit maybe and talk a bit about, um, you know, I, I did ask kind of briefly about the categories, but um, if you were to kind of give a breakdown of how to mix up your stories, what's, what's a, what's a, an average cocktail mix of types of stories. There's like the personal anecdotes, there's the people that you've worked with, there's things you've overheard or things you've looked into in your new angle. But how would you generally mix it up in a way that you think is just a good standard starter kit for effective storytelling? You really want to break this down. This is interesting. Yeah, so, this is how my brain works. Okay. So like this is what I do. Okay. I, I like want so, to understand it. So let me talk about a continuum here. At one end is this thing that happened when I was trying to teach my kid to ride a bike, you know, I'm, I'm just making that up, but it's, it's like, it's a personal story. It's interesting. But if your whole persona is about your personal stories, it's like, well, maybe, but we're not all exactly the same as you all the time. And it better be a fantastic story yes, at yeah. that point. And at, and at the other end is this the public story that everybody knows. Okay. There was a submersible. It went down to see the Titanic and it imploded. Well, you know what? We've all heard that story. And yes, you're going to try and tell me, okay, well, this should tell you something about how safety works or, you know, whatever. Well, it's like, all right, now it's getting a little creepy that you're, you're taking this, this public story and, and putting your own personal spin on it. And you can use a few of those, but again, you need to be careful in the vast middle ground 
are stories about regular people in regular business or personal situations. So uh, let me hear about people dealing with depression or let me hear about uh, people who figured out how to get more done with less budget. Or let me hear about people who were struggling with, with uh, how to work uh, with people that are, that are now a virtual team and nobody comes into the office. Um, and these are stories about ordinary people, but they're not about you. So when you tell that story, you're not the hero of the story. The hero of the story is Fred who had, a team of 10 people that used to work in person and now they're all distributed virtually. Um, and those, most of the story should be like that. So I'll leave you on this final question then is that um, how often should you be the hero of the story? Should you ever be the hero of the story? Or is it always as, um, as it's often been suggested that you're the guide, you're the, you're the Obi-Wan, you're not the Luke Skywalker. Um should you ever be the hero of your own story? And I'll, I'll leave it at that. And I'll let you then uh, sign us off by telling us all about where people can find out more about you. But that's my final question okay. for you on this one. I, uh, you know, if that's all you got, but something really interesting happened to you, then sure, you can be the hero of your own story. And I have to say, I probably spent the first two thirds of my career talking about how I was the hero of every story. And it was pretty tedious and people didn't really enjoy it very much. So <laughs> as I've become a consultant that has to help other people, I've realized that my story is much less interesting than their stories. And I have to concentrate on their needs, not about how wonderful I am. And what a wonderful segue into talking about how to get a hold of me. So if people have problems <laughs> and they and they want they want help with solving their problems, I'm not going to talk about how great I am. I'm going to talk about your problems, how to solve your problems. Go to burnoff.com. That's my website. Go to the author services uh, uh, link at the top. And then you'll see basically the stuff I help people with. And it, it all boils down to how you can get your story out and how you can create visibility for yourself by telling that story. Beautiful. Well, for those of you out there, when you find that Gotham is in trouble, you know now where to find Josh. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Rogue for another episode where we break down someone's superpower, teach you how to do it so you can steal it for yourself and go out there and try and help us save the world. Thanks for tuning in. Go leave us five stars. Tell us how great we are and reach out to Josh. He's a real smart cookie.